This morning we have a special treat. For the first time since the pandemic began, we have our youngest choir, the Canterbury Kids, who are going to sing a song to the Lord called Come Holy Spirit. And then we will have a short children's sermon. So enjoy as they offer this song to the Lord. Thank you, children. Come have a seat right here. You know what? The Lord was very pleased with the offering you made. No, don't sit over here. You're in my place. You sit over here. Anybody else? Any other kids in the congregation? Please come forward. Yeah, face me. There we go. Now you're in my place. Go look it over there. There we go. I know, not at this service. Anyway, you sounded beautiful. Thank you. Takes a lot of work to make that all come together, doesn't it? All the practice and all the things that you have to do to, to sing together and sound so beautiful. Uh, you prayed that the Holy Spirit will come and live in you. How many of you believe that the Holy Spirit's living in you? He, he, tell you what if you don't know that the Holy Spirit's living in you you ask the Holy Spirit to come live in you and I promise you he will because he wants to so much and he guides us and leads us as Christians turn me down just a little bit I got some feedback um, today's gospel lesson was about a blind man and I had you know I watch people walk down the street who are blind and they're just going and going and they know where they're going. You know, I get up every morning and I have to leave my, I go in the restroom and do all my stuff and come back out and I have to come out through the dark. 
well, I will kiss my wife goodbye real fast. And she goes right back to sleep. But it's still dark. And I make my way through the bedroom. I know right where the door handle is. And it's so dark, I keep my eyes closed anyway. So I guess you kind of learn how to, to maneuver through life, getting, uh, knowing where you're going, even in the dark. It must be really difficult to be blind. But a lot of times when people are handicapped like that, we begin to trust other people more. And oftentimes we trust God more when we're handicapped. And sometimes being handicapped means we give up ourselves and let God take over. Let the Holy Spirit come in and take over our lives. The Holy Spirit does that. And he leads us and guides us straight to the doorknob or straight to Jesus or straight to the Father. That's what God does. He brings us all to the Father. So it's not easy being blind. But there's another kind of blindness too, not just the eyes. A lot of people are blind in their hearts. And they refuse to see God in their hearts. So I hope that if you don't know the Holy Spirit, and if you don't know if the Holy Spirit's living in you, if you're not baptized, let me know and I'll get you baptized, okay? But we pray that the Holy Spirit, if you're not baptized, I will baptize you, okay? We have some baptisms next week at 11 o'clock, in fact. Let me know if you want to be baptized and I'll talk to you this week. But uh, the Holy Spirit will open our heart to see God. The Holy Spirit, it's all the Holy Spirit. I can't see God on my own, but the Holy Spirit sees God and prays through us and, and lifts us to the Father constantly. So we all want the Holy Spirit. So when you sing like you did, how wonderful that was, mean it with your heart because you ask the Holy Spirit to come live in you. Let the Holy Spirit live in you, okay? All right, go, um, they what? Oh, go follow Miss Music and, and, and do whatever she tells you to do. And so this morning, you all are aware that we are, even though we practice stewardship, I have to say this because the bishop's here, uh, and his wife, even though we practice stewardship all year long, we are in the midst of our stewardship season. And you've, you've already heard sermons on stewardship, and you've seen uh, articles in the rector's voice and in the newsletters. But today we've got two lay people talking to us, two lay people that I respect and admire greatly, uh, have known for years, uh, one of them in six years the other, and, uh, and so I ask uh, Carolyn Boyd and Susie Giesland to come, well, one at a time, Carolyn Boyd first, who recently lost her husband, Jim. I, I loved and respect, respected him a lot, and, uh, and Carolyn is going to speak on their behalf, and then Susie's going to speak on behalf of she and Phil. So, Carolyn, would you come forward at this time? Lord bless you. And by the way, they do this at all three services. They were here at the last service. This is not an easy thing to do. Hello. When Jim and I were first dating, we were having one of those conversations that you have with people when you're really getting to know them. And so the subject of faith came up. And Jim had been raised in what at the time was called a high church Episcopal parish. And so he mentioned that his family tithed. 
and that even as a single man, he was tithing and he hoped and expected that when he married, his family would continue to tithe. I'd been raised a nominal Baptist and I was currently attending a Unitarian fellowship. And my family before me and, and I were kind of money in the plate people. I never really understood tithing or participated. By the time Jim and I married, I had joined the Episcopal Church and had learned the biblical significance of tithing. Now, Jim was the math science type, and so when we married, he did the finances. I always said that my participation was limited to, not really, but almost, to my walking through the room every so often when he was doing the finances and saying, are we solvent? To which he would always respond, yes, Carolyn, we're solvent. But being married to him all those years, my understanding of tithing grew, and it grew in a few unexpected ways. Certainly, and most importantly, it fulfills a biblical directive. And it does form a family tradition. It's one of the things that you can say about your family. It also, sorry, this was surprising to me, it increases your financial discipline. Those things that are non-negotiable, tithing, food, housing, transportation, form the center of your budget. And then everything else sort of fills in around the edges as necessity and finances allow. Something that was most surprising to me is how it strengthened your connection to your home parish. And for us, this sometimes was a little odd or difficult. We lived overseas for nine years. And during that time, we often had to think about, did our tithe go to the Roman Catholic Church where we were hanging out on the back pew because there wasn't an Anglican or Episcopal Church? Or did we wire it home to our home parish in the Galleria where we may only attend church once every year or even every two years depending on our home leave? But what was the most um, that, I, that I've learned the most from really was the past 18 months here at St. Timothy's. It has been for so many people a very rough time. And I just came to understand even more fully than I did before the absolute necessity of having a strong family church and one that cares about you and is there for you. When Jim died, I had to take over the finances. And I will admit it was a steep learning curve and I had some trepidation, but I had some good advisors, you know who you are. And I can say now that I can talk about Roth IRAs and RMDs and kind of pretty much know what I'm talking about. But there was one thing I had no second thoughts about and that was that I would continue to tithe and at our family commitment level. I said a moment ago that Jim was the math science type. I'm the language humanities person. Opposites do attract. And so I want to tell you about a book I recently read. It's called The Benedict Option by Rod Dreher. In this book, Dreher poses 
a frightening but increasingly plausible scenario. He says, soon America and much of the world may face a dark future. And he defines those two words. He admits that soon is the most imprecise word in our dictionary. It can mean 10 weeks, 10 months, 10 years, 100. And he defines dark as in the dark ages, hence the title Saint Benedict. I know you know this, but I'm going to remind you. At the beginning of the Dark Ages, St. Benedict saved the Christian faith and learning and culture and writing and true fellowship and health and medicine and education and sanctuary. As with St. Benedict at the fall of the Roman Empire and the destabilizing of Western civilization, we cannot expect our government or science and technology our schools, or cultures to save us. Only God in God's church can do that. What will we be called to do? Who knows? Maybe expand our mission field and outreach services. Open up soup kitchen, a food pantry. Build a little house community in the property behind the church for the displaced. Start a Christian classical school or just pay our legal defense bills. Whatever it is, it will require more than usual our time and talent and treasure. So, whether you are called upon to tithe as a biblical directive, a family tradition, a financial discipline, a commitment to your home church parish, or to save the world, I can recommend it as a very good investment. Thank you, Carolyn. Susie, if you'll come forward. Good morning. Good morning. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Susie Gieselin, and my husband is Philip Gieselin. We've been members here at St. Timothy's Anglican for approximately six years. Father Stan asked if Phil and I would speak to you about our testimony with respect to tithing. I also want to talk to you about obeying and hoping in God. I really believe with all my heart that Phil should have been the one to speak on this, but he insisted that I share. So, tithing. What do I want to say about tithing? First, God doesn't want your money. He wants a people with a heart's desire for joyful giving, for the building of his kingdom. He wants you he wants us. He wants our whole body, soul, and mind. With respect to tithing, Jesus takes this act of obedience much further, as he did with many of the Old Testament laws in the Sermon on the Mount. 
He aims straight at the heart. He wants us to look deep within our hearts and examine our intentions and attitudes. He wants us to present ourselves as living sacrifices. I believe tithing is a tool that can drive and influence our priorities in all other areas of our daily lives. If we surrender and are steadfast in tithing, it will steer our desires to become more aligned with the will of God and the building of his kingdom, not our own. There is nothing that we build for ourselves here on earth that is eternal. As we continue to obey and dig deeper through God's word, we discover that the apostles laid out for us the recipe for prioritizing and dedicating all of our daily lives by coming together to study God's word, worship, prayer, and the breaking of bread. In other words, they dedicated themselves in body, heart, soul, and mind. They were very intentional. It takes intentionality to tithe. It takes absorbing the realization that everything we are and have is from our good Father. And as a result, we are grateful for what he has provided. It says in 1 Chronicles 29, 14, But who am I, and what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you, and of your own have we given you. When we get down to it, he has provided for us the means to tithe. However, when we are invested in building our own kingdoms, this recipe doesn't work very well. So, how have Phil and I responded to God in this area as he continues to work in our daily life through sanctification? When Phil insisted I share, I responded, how can I talk to them about our testimony in tithing when you're the one that taught me? It seemed a little upside down to me. On the other hand, it seemed just right. Because tithing for Phil and I was simply obeying God, giving back of what he first gave us. And therefore, praise God because what God intended in the order of our covenantal marriage did not return void to him. In my earlier years, my mind was not intentional as far as tithing was concerned. I had a giving heart, which I learned from my daddy, but I lacked discipline. This was also reflected in my prayer life, worship, study, and breaking of bread. It lacked consistency. In Phil's and my 21 years of marriage, I have continued to learn from his faithfulness during dry spells in the oil industry. When we knew an oil slowed down and cut was coming, and then the money still flowed after work had stopped, we would cut back on just about everything except tithing. We continued to tithe back to God what continued to come in. And I can tell you that the thought crossed my mind to hold back. But when I would ask Phil 
what to write the uh, check for, what amount, he would resolutely tell me the same amount. We continued to give God what he first gave us. The learning has been continual as life has continued to happen. How much should we give? What is our model? Christ gave all. God said that he would give abundant wisdom to all that asked for it. So let us all go to God and ask him. Phil and I tithe out of God's riches that he has blessed us with and give joyfully more when needs arise in his kingdom. What has been the result of obeying God for Phil and I? Hope. Hope is just not a word in the English language. It is palpable. It is felt in the depths of our soul and spirit. The object being the unfathomable love of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and the promises that are beautifully given. This hope that was developed in me through obeying Christ and through the disciples of the, excuse me, through the disciplines of the apostles prepared me for a day that I thought would never come, the death of our son, John Matthew. It prepared me to live each day for God, knowing that he would be with me and provide my purpose in his kingdom. Excuse me. I know, we know, that through all these disciplines, God provides for us our faith, the assurance of things hoped for, and the evidence of things not seen. The practice of the apostles is practiced right here at St. Timothy's. This is where my faith has beautifully grown. I am forever grateful for what I have learned from Deacon John. This testimony is chopped full of what I have learned from you, Deacon John, and I'm grateful for the ministers that Father Stan has prepared that have lifted me up through their specific gifts and the encouragement that they gave me to develop my gifts so that I might serve him. I am grateful to the daughters for their example of service, prayer, and study. I am grateful for the freedom to gather here and break bread together. And I am grateful for all of the servants here at St. Timothy's that make this possible. These things just don't happen. They are intentional. Thank you for everything you do for the building of his kingdom. Phil and I tithe for the building of his kingdom. Let us as God's people here continue to bring in our first fruits in thanksgiving for what he has done for each of us and for the furtherance of his kingdom. Amen and amen. Thank you, Sudi. Thank you both. Uh, very much. Take these words to heart, folks. Let the Lord speak to you through these words. Say your prayers. At the end of the week, we will be sending out a stewardship letter and our pledge cards. We don't expect you to turn those in right away. Uh, I think our in-gathering Sunday is November the 7th, I believe, and we'll all uh, we'll say prayers and offer those up to God together. 
Um, if you're not going to be here, you can go ahead and turn those in and do what you need to do. So say your prayers and, and, and again, take those words to heart.